0: That is where their authentic voice lives. Young women, I have noticed, will speak in breathy or very quiet or very girlish voices. And when we start to unpack that a little bit, and I'm also not a psychologist, we think about, we talk about what the voice they, ha- they have and use now probably goes back to their childhoods where those voices worked well for them in whatever their family situation was, in whatever their school situation was, or, or a romantic partner situation was. Did those voices get them what they want, get them what they need, get them through some very dysfunctional times? Did it, did it attract more of the partner they thought they were looking for? Okay, it's not authentic. So my job is to just show them where to tap into that authentic voice.
1: This is Unconditioning: Discovering the Voice Within with Whitney and Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 51st episode of Unconditioning: Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Susan Murphy. Susan has been in the broadcast industry for over 40 years. She has been a radio news director, a TV news reporter, and weather girl, back when they called them that, a talk show host and producer for radio, a public television producer, and on-air personality, and a voiceover artist. And now she is a broadcast voice coach. She helps her clients align with their authenticity within the constructs of the broadcast industry. And I had a really fantastic time talking with Susan about what it means to be authentic within the news industry. And I thought that releasing this episode now was pretty relevant when we have election season coming up. So I'm really excited to share Susan's wisdom and insight into the background of herself and her story and shining a light on the intricacies of the voice itself and the alignment of that with speaking our truth. So here she is, Susan Murphy. Just so we can dig in a little deeper at the beginning and I don't have to be like, hey, Susan tell me everything
0: about you which i i hate that as a first question and i've you know but some people that's what they want and i just think that's a time waster so whatever yeah, yeah. good for you yeah. <laughs> excellent okay
1: so you have a very extensive background in the broadcast world of news and television and in order to get to where you are in your own voice as well as helping others find their voice You had to go through a lot in order to get there. So one of the first things that I like to discover is when was the first time that you realized that you had
0: an inner voice of your own? An inner voice of my own? Yeah. It would have had to have... That's a really great question because it's. I don't think that's one of those moments we necessarily pay attention to but. Back when I was finishing up college in Philadelphia in the late 70s, working to get my first job, had gone to school for communications, and I was standing on the shoulders of that first, second wave, really, of women broadcasters like Barbara Walters, like Jane Pauley. Um, And at that point in the late 70s, TV stations were eager to add more women to their ranks. So finding a job was actually pretty easy back Mm -hmm. then. And my first TV job was in West Palm Beach, Florida. And one of the things I guess I noticed even when I went to put together that audition reel in college is that because the business was primarily run and populated with men, Mm -hmm. I was certainly aware of having a voice that obviously couldn't match theirs, and I didn't want to mimic theirs, but I was conscious of speaking in a lower range. Um, not, not in, some degree, in some degree, forcing my voice lower to just sort of look more authoritative or m- more camera worthy, whatever. My initial training and first love is radio. So in radio, you're always just encouraged to use a rich, bold voice, and that I could do. But when you add all the layers of television, it it makes it that much harder. So I was aware in college that my voice could, should, might be lower to Mm -hmm. make it in this industry. I I didn't really have a very high voice to begin with, but I was conscious of it say, around the age of 19, and graduated college at 20 and had my first TV job at 21. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I imagine, over your span of
1: time, that you must have seen a lot of changes within that industry as far as authenticity goes even, oh, and, and yes. remaining in that.
0: Yes. Authenticity. Where shall we even start? <laughs> Because in the early days, it wasn't so much about authenticity. It was you know, just getting the news product on the air. But I will say, in the late 70s, early 80s, there was the change from very formal Walter Cronkite, um, middle, um, uh, what's it called, um, middle American sort of writing and that formal voice to something more conversational. So they weren't stressing authenticity, Mm -hmm. we were stressing conversational. So that sort of leads or can lead to authenticity when you take out formal words, when you write like you speak, which we are still continuing to do. And it's still what I show my clients because it seems to be very hard for them coming out of high school and college where academic writing is still so formal. It, it takes a while to learn to write how you speak. You'd think it was easy. It's not. So the authenticity piece really hasn't been a thing, I would say, until 9-11. Mm. When 9-11 happened, it tore down, I should pardon the expression, and I don't mean to be flippant, it tore down a lot of walls in, yeah. in many areas with regard to politics, with regard to journalism, with regard to foreign relations, that the United States could be attacked on its own soil, just uprooted and overturned everything we knew about everything. So I think journalism after 9-11 became much more in tune to some degree to the human emotional toll and connection that big news stories like that certainly did. But then it got translated even into the smaller ones. Mm-hmm. And of course, what were the smaller? and I don't uh, they're not smaller, but what were the other ones to come after that? Oh, school shootings. Um, the 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 rise in violence, the rise in in um, in the environmental destruction that we're all looking at. So, so it's really only been in the last 20 years that authenticity has been very important in getting out through radio news, through TV news, and now especially through podcasting. Yeah. So
1: at what point in your career, did you feel like you were able to connect your inner voice with your external like spoken voice and mm. feel confident and aligned in
0: that right in in our business in the news business that can't happen until you connect with the copy you wrote until you look at the story you developed and remember that that's not words on a page you're telling someone's story and so your writing and your tone have to match the writing or the tone of the story. So I think I picked up on that early on in radio news because we didn't have the pictures to go along with it. And I, to this day, still tell my TV clients, pretend you don't have those pictures. Mm -hmm. Write to spark humanity. Write to spark the pictures in your brain. Write to spark the emotion tied to it. The pictures will take care of themselves. But it's how you bring the story across that's important. And and many young journalists think, because they were taught in J school or whatever, that, oh, you know, I can't be biased. I can't be part of the story. I can't show that I'm taking sides. Well, come on. If you're doing a story about a mother who just lost a daughter in a drive-by shooting, are there sides to be taken there? I don't think so. <laughs> yes, in certain political stories, in, in certain forums, okay. Being right down the middle is a good idea, but not in most news stories, to be perfectly honest with you. We do have to be careful of trigger words and words that are not neutral, mm-hmm. um, with regard, certainly with regard to the Roe v. Way decision, with regard to gun violence, with regard you have to, even with regard to politics. You have to be careful about the words you choose so that you're not showing bias. So once you've done that, um, but particularly in emotional stories about people, what we, what's, what's the news about? People. Right. You really have to connect to the copy. And then hopefully that brings out an authentic version of your voice. But let me tell you, not a lot of people in my business can... Um, connect to it. Because particularly for anchors, as they're looking at copy that's rolling up in front of them that they may have read, they may not have read, they probably didn't write, it might've been changed on them, there's talking in their ear. uh, mm, That it's Being an anchor is so much harder than it looks. (laughs) Um, They're just lucky to get from one end of the sentence to the other. So a lot of times anchors have trouble with the connection because of all the other things that go on in anchoring and for the longest time that was acceptable through the 80s and into the 90s you know as long as you read it right and it's moving and flowing and you got the stories and it was all about if it bleeds it leads and let's get so, all these things in didn't matter how you didn't did it didn't matter that there wasn't where there was often not a shred of humanity in your voice you were just getting through it and what, that leads to what i call singing the news where the cadence is the same from an anchor or reporter whether they're doing a St. Patrick's Day story or an explosion at a gas factory. I mean, yeah. So again, 9/11 taught us that that has to stop. Um and that's why mental health issues are becoming so important in a newsroom. Mm. 30 years ago that wasn't a thing. I mean, yeah, we all covered tough stories, but yeah. It's not not like it was. Um, years ago. And, and I'm very aware of that with the people I coach, that their experience is far different from mine, just because of what news, and I put that in quotes, has become.
1: Yeah. Are there any protocols in place for any kind of mental health um, self-care when you were at the workplace?
0: No, not when I was oh heavens no that it was you know you got to tough it out you just you know suck yeah. it up don't cry mm-hmm. right uh walter cronkite cried on television when mm-hmm. john f kennedy was shot but we you know the last big story i covered on the air was the challenger explosion in 1986 what whenever that was two or three um and you just hold it together you just learn to hold it together and then most of us just tried to bury it you know the The constant uh, uh, bombardment of the visuals, the constant rereading of the stories every time you did it and you rewrote it and you did it a different way. And then we just buried it. You can't do that anymore. I think again, nine eleven taught us that too. You can't you just can't. You have to come to terms with it. You have mm-hmm. to to connect to it and to do it in a. In a really appropriate way, it has to affect you. Yeah. I worked with some reporters in um, Louisville who had to cover young reporters who who covered a uh, tornado earlier this year. People were killed, uh, children, um, entire neighborhoods flattened, and they all went out and they did a great job. And they, but. Kind of like being in war, you're a little shell shocked and you get the job done, and, and okay, I'm doing great stories, whatever. And then you come back, and now you're not in a neighborhood that's destroyed and you, you are back to your regular life. And I would advise these reporters to take some time, get a massage, spend extra time treating yourself well, extra cup of tea, extra time with friends, whatever it would take to re. Um, to remind you that you are safe.: Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way before.
1: Um, and thinking of it, everyone has different traumas and triggers, um, and some of them we're not even aware of, so those could creep in very easily.
0: Yeah. mm mm-hmm. um, It's, again, it, it is just so much harder now than it was 30 years ago. Some stations now do offer. Uh, through their um, employee workplace programs, free counseling, that they'll pay for some visits to a psychologist to talk it out. They re- they do realize that it takes a toll. Yeah. Along with the hours that um, most people in our industry work, like everybody else, we're as shorthanded as every industry and people are working six days and 12 hour days and it's not good for them. Mm,
1: that. It's fascinating to connect those things, um, because it's really a service to humanity. And it's not really looked at in that way, I feel like.
0: But it is what gets most people into the business. Oh, sure, there are some who think it's glamorous, and they're getting into it just to be on TV. But no, you are so right in calling it a service. We're the people who go to those burned out buildings. We're the people who will stand with that grieving mother. We're the people who will shine light into stories that you wouldn't have the opportunity to discover yourself if it weren't for us. And a lot of people, I think most people in our industry do take that seriously. We are there to um, uncover what is both bad and good about humanity, um, to expose the stories that are hurtful or, um, not pleasant to listen to, but need to be exposed. And that is a service. You are so correct.
1: And adding on top of that, what is it like to navigate the narrative of the news, um, that is currently very present in <laughs> our, uh, I'm not sure how to say this in a way that is, uh,
0: uh, I know I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. What um the news around us that is at the very least troubling and controversial and yes. um, divisive. Divisive is yes. a fair word. There I we go. We will all I think agree that's a good divisive. word. Okay. Yes. Um it's hard. Uh, it's hard on many, many levels. Journalism is trying to do something that we've adopted as what's called solutions journalism, which is the easiest way to do it is we all lead with the murders and deaths every night. Okay, could we maybe instead of just do murder after murder, could we talk about why there are so many murders? What we could do to make that statistic better? Mm-hmm. So and, and that goes not just for crime, but it goes for the environment, it goes for politics, goes for lots of different categories. And so we are trying to push the conversations forward. To make these problems, it's 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 our obligation, all of us, to try to be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh journalists are trying to do. At one station, I don't remember where it was, it was somewhere in the south months ago, maybe a year and a half ago now. Um, when so many people objected to getting a COVID vaccine, what this TV station did was they asked for volunteers, their viewers, who were really hell-bent on not being vaccinated, got them into the TV studio with a panel of experts, medical, um, environmental, uh, political experts about why the vaccine would be a good idea. And both sides were allowed to have a conversation. It, It was like a town hall meeting. It was filmed. And I think they did it in two pieces. And the objective was to find out Did any of these people change their minds after the conversations Mm -hmm. they could have one on one with doctors and scientists and politicians? I am sad to say I don't know the answer to that question. I did not follow (laughs) up, but I thought, what a wonderful idea. Yeah. Wonderful idea. So these are the things we're now trying to, to. I was listening to a podcast yesterday where they were, a lot of people are comparing the, um, the moving of the migrants to New York City and up to um, Cape Cod uh, to the reverse Freedom Riders uh, stunts that happened in the 60s where uh, groups in the South bust Black people uh, into New York City. Um, and and one did up to to Cape Cod and these people were promised jobs and they were bust toward the Kennedy compound and they were told that John Kennedy was going to come say hello to them. Well do you think that happened of course not so a lot of people were comparing the two as similar and they are except that as one point person pointed out we now have alternative truths yeah we everybody back then at least we all agreed to the same set of facts and truths now that's not true so that's the difference today is that there are too many narratives, many of which are false, many of which are misleading, many of which are wrong. And how do we get everybody to at least agree to the same set of facts? I don't know. But we're working on it. And that goes back to authenticity. Yeah. Because to be able to do this, it's not just asking questions. It's thinking past the questions. Mm -hmm. and trying to see the end and trying to see the outcome and being able being mindful enough to maybe okay this isn't working so let's change direction even though we're in the middle of this project that requires hard soul searching and thinking yeah it reminds to be authentic.
1: me it reminds me a lot of uh, to compare it uh, to research papers that uh grad students do and like these are just research papers that are sitting in a library and they're not being implemented into society to change it or move it forward. So it seems to be an element that is
0: missing from many aspects of this society. Good point. And you know, I do sometimes think about people in academics who do this wonderful work or these studies or these experiments and and then yes some do move on but probably the majority do not and they are in dusty folders and and you wonder if if maybe some of these solutions might already be in front of us we just don't know where they are but i do think about that how academics need you know they when you say academe that can have a pejorative yes. notion to it um but i really do think at least they're thinking about it at least they're pushing ahead with it, we need to get more involved. (laughs) Just a little bit further. Yes. Agreed. Yes.
1: So talking about implementing things, I want to talk about the voice itself more um, because you do a lot of work with that with your clients and implementing the on-air broadcast voice and finding the
0: authenticity within that style. Exactly. That's what I do. <clears throat> there are two things to consider here. For many young women, they do not tap into what I consider to be their authentic voices. And so I, you know, I don't have a degree in physiology or biology, but I know enough about the human body and how we're put together to show them how breath work and bringing up you know, a bold, beautiful voice from the bottom of their diaphragm can lead them to their authentic voice. That is where their authentic voice lives. Young women, I have noticed, will speak in breathy or very quiet or very girlish voices. And when we start to unpack that a little bit, and I'm also not a psychologist, we think about, we talk about what The voice they they have and use now probably goes back to their childhoods, where those voices worked well for them in whatever their family situation was, in whatever their school situation was, or or, uh, romantic partner situation was. Did those voices get them what they want, get them what they need, get them through some very dysfunctional times? Did it, did it attract more of the partner they thought they were looking for? Okay, it's not authentic. So my job is to just show them where to tap into that authentic voice. And I had one young reporter say to me, but I don't want you to change me. I still need to be me under all of that. I still need, yeah, 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 I got that. We're good. It's still going to be you, but it's going to be a more authentic you speaking from the voice that the good Lord or nature gave you that most people just don't tap into because of the way we breathe so shallowly. Yeah. So when I show them little things like drop your shoulders, sink your weight into the chair, relax everything except that muscle that is known as your diaphragm, your gut you live in your gut, you trust your gut. As a reporter, of course you do. And then just to to start telling your story from that authentic voice, you won't sing it, you won't sound false, you won't, you'll do it in the most pleasant voice so, so that me, the listener, viewer, will enjoy it the most. That's why I started this business. I'd be flipping around channels and I would look at reporters, young reporters doing a pretty good job. Um, You know, now they're MMJs, multimedia journalists, and they generally have to do the filming as well as the writing, as well as the tracking of the story. There's very few of them are reporters who go out with photographers. A lot of them do it all. That's hard. And it it, it cuts into the quality of everything you do. Mm-hmm. So when I can show them how that storytelling is so enriched by, yes, be you, but come up from that beautiful voice, not only does their on-air work improve, but there have been women who have come to me with tears in their eyes, who have made the decision that they are going to speak from their authentic voices all the time. In the newsroom, in front of their boss, in front of their partners, in front of their children. And they've said to me how healing it is. Mm. Did not see that coming when I started this business. And that's what I do for a lot of young women. For young men, it's a kind of different problem. They're already born with the testosterone and Adam's apple and generally lower voice for the most part they get it into their heads what a reporter or anchor should sound like, what a sports reporter needs to sound like. And once we dispel that myth, no, it's not not what somebody should sound like. It's what you sound like. Well, the sense of relief from all of them is amazing to watch. And then they just grow in confidence. They blossom. The women, too. That authentic voice gives, first they have to give themselves permission to use the voice. And then once they do, they can step into arenas they used to be somewhat fearful of. Right? I'm sure you find that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like, uh, so you're making sort of, I don't know if the speaking voice is considered external, um, but it definitely is when it's released, true. Um, but taking the physical and implementing it into like the groundedness and alignment.
0: Yes. Well put. And, and I do teach them breath work and we practice the breath work. It's a combination of yogic breathing. What I learned from a singing teacher, when um, you and I both have a, you have a way better much better theater background than I did. I mean, I just did regional theater and high school theater, whatever. And I was cast in Footloose as one of the mothers. Well, you know, you always put me in the chorus. You always give me a couple of lines. Wait, I'm going to be one of the mothers and that means I sing a duet. What? (laughs) Hello? So I took what I call triage singing lessons and worked with a marvelous teacher. You know, what's the expression? When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Oh, yes, yes. She taught me so much about voice for singing that translates so beautifully for speaking. So I've made up this little, my own little recipe, so to speak, to practice the breath so that I can help my reporters and anchors, I call it getting into the zone. And when you practice the breath enough, you know, a couple of weeks, it comes, starts to come naturally because it's muscle memory, whatever. And they have said that it, yes, it takes way more time than they think. And yes, it does take practice. You know, they all thought getting into TV was just, oh, writing a story, holding a <laughs> microphone, standing there and doing it. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> not quite like that. Yeah. So, um, yes, it's, it's, it's making sure that, that that inside physiology attaches. I like to say, you know, you live in your gut. You don't live mm-hmm. in your head. You don't live in your heart. Those two organs certainly inform your gut, but you live in your gut. And by aligning the breath with that part of the body where your diaphragm is in your gut, it's life-changing. It really is. Yes. Uh, And I can imagine to be
1: on set in front of a camera, to have like the things rolling and anxiety coming up, that the breath is very important to be like tapped into
0: and grounded into. Right. It's not like we memorize lines. We don't become a character. We don't. And we, we don't do the same thing every day for six months. We, it changes day to day. You need a whole set of skills to go do a sports story versus, you know, weather versus the grieving mother story. We, so we have to access authenticity and realism differently every single day. And we can't really practice it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's not a character. Yeah. You got to be in the moment of it. Mm-hmm.
0: But I love doing it. I love being able to make differences in their lives. They make better choices as a writer. Um, I'm very famous for saying, write it like a fifth grader, deliver it like a college professor. Again, going back to that formal writing that they did for their SAT college entrance exams and and papers, whatever, they cannot break that habit. Um, So really just Simple, beautiful words, almost like the words of a play, the Mm -hmm. conversation, because I, I remind them that being a reporter, you are in conversation with your viewer. No, you don't get applause. You don't get eye contact. You don't get any sort of feedback, but you do have to remember they're there, right? So tell them that story as they deserve to have it told to them you've worked all day on this story and you have to boil it down to a minute 50. That's the standard length for a reporter package, a minute 50, and you've worked all day on it.
1: Yes, and storytelling is a way that we digest and understand and dissect our society, and so it's very important to Actually, I never, I've always like known that it's called a story, but I, I haven't really thought about it in that way until right now. Keep talking. Yeah, um, because like the entertainment industry, movies and TV, um, we learn by watching other people and putting ourselves in that situation or becoming really intimate with a character that we might not identify with specifically, but sometimes the more intimate someone gets with their vulnerability,
0: the more we connect. Very true. Reporters have a tough time doing that. You're right about the vulnerability. To cover a lot of the stories that we do, to cover them well, you do have to be vulnerable. Now, I'm not talking about going out to the animal shelter and, you know, showing all those cute puppies and, oh, come adopt a dog. There are other ways to tell that story through I mean we've all seen the TikTok videos and the reels of of those heartbreaking stories of the foster fails and and how these dogs were saved or um it's so important that reporters learn to be vulnerable and they're not it comes at a cost it comes at a cost which goes back to the mental health and and we don't have to do it necessarily every day if you get assigned to cover the city hall council meeting i mean there's most times there's not much more boring than that. Although that's not true necessarily anymore because now it's okay to have temperance flare, and it's okay to let the F <laughs> efforts fly and it's okay to to just get in people's face. I mean, wh- where is civility? Civility no longer exists. And I think a lot of people do that at school board meetings and city hall council meetings because they know TV stations are there and that's gonna get that. Like TV stations have actually, during the COVID um, crisis, And school boards were meeting, and masks and vaccines and mandates and blah, blah, blah. TV stations had to actually say, okay, we got to cut this out. This is ridiculous. We can't just be showing parents getting all upset at microphones (laughs) once a week. I mean, it's right.
1: Yeah, it's almost not helping anybody. (laughs) A scripted news story created by citizens. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you do a lot of great work with your students, but I want to talk about you and your career for a little bit because you, with your authentic voice, have found a great path of exploring a lot of different avenues with your voice. Yep, in, including um, an artificial intelligence kind of yes. thing. Yes, yes. And so speaking of authenticity, I'm I'm interested to know how that experience was and how you feel about having your voice being
0: artificially manufactured. I sometimes like to say that you can't shoot at a moving target so my career has just been so jumbled up and a patchwork of things put together and I have loved every single second. Let's go back to the early 90s when um the When computers learned to, we could answer a phone with a voice like mine that said, thank you for calling American Express. How can I help you today? And then you would press one, you'd press two to get your balance, blah, blah, blah. And of course, it's frustrating to people not to talk to a real person, but they figured that out in the 90s that we could do it this way. And I happened to work on Long Island, New York, near a company, one of the largest in the world that did this kind of stuff. And it was just starting. And because I have this authentic, pleasant voice, I got hired for a lot of uh, banks, airlines, prisons, small companies, large companies um, to do this sort of thing. And, and I would be you would record different things and then the computer would put little pieces together, depending on what you pressed or what eventually what question you asked when the technology allowed you to speak your answer and not just press the answer on the phone pad. That has now, of course, mostly disappeared. A lot of people either do it themselves or everybody does everything online. So that part of my job is a fraction of what it used to be. So I do voiceover work and I do primarily narration work because that kind of suits my voice. Um, I generally don't do characters. I've booked an occasional commercial in my time, but not a lot. I've got this, this warm, trusting older sounding voice. And my voice has sounded like this since I'm like 24, but this artificial intelligence thing has come along. Now for years, there has been a text to speech where you could type in a sentence and then a computer tried to put together using human voice. It always, the good stuff always has to start with a human voice because of nuance that a computer will never catch. It does exist, Siri, um, and some of those voices are computer generated along with some human touch. The company that I decided to work for, um, Well Said Labs, which is I believe out in Seattle. First of all, you have to be very ethical if you're gonna use artificially intel- artificial intelligence voices such as mine where we recorded hours and i do mean hours of various paragraphs and phrases mm-hmm. some was from the bible some was from shakespeare some was from academic papers uh, i mean this conglomeration of stuff that was challenging to do because you you couldn't pay attention necessarily to the subject matter you were just trying to do the sentences in a way that was appropriate for that trickier than it sounds Mm -hmm. and they named my character vanessa and she is a choice in fact they have oh probably up to 30 now voices male and female young and old all kinds of different accents gender neutral um which is really very nice i mean that that's you know i'm glad that's getting its due a gender neutral or a gay or you know that those voices, those types of voices and how they sound are being represented, which is great. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to listen, you know, and a client can go on the website and they can choose, oh, let me hear what Vanessa sounds like. So they can type in any sentence they want. And I will say back whatever they typed. And interesting yeah. and then we we get paid by i forget how they how they figure it out my voice is not probably the most used on the site i think they they tend to go for the slightly younger sounding voices but i you know i'm good for e-learning i'm good for certain explanatory things so um that's been a lot of fun but it was important for me to work with a company that was ethical that wasn't going to do weird stuff or sell my voice to nefarious companies that's important and that's a you know the deep fake videos that they can do oh yeah I mean again you talk about alternative truths and how we're all supposed to know what's true Mm. scary stuff but it's it's been a and then once you do all the pieces um we did one little update uh where they oh (laughs) Where we they wanted us to do certain like foreign words that we uh, use in English language. And I'm trying to think like um, charcuterie and uh, <laughs> most of them were French, but words that do, and that those were, they were going to take not just bits and pieces of, but the words themselves. So that was kind of fun.
1: Yeah, that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. How, how, so when you were listening back, how did that make you feel?
0: Well, come on, how do you, you, you can answer this question. How does anybody feel when they listen to their voice back? Hmm? right, right, nobody likes it. We all hate our own voices, um, you know, because i'll I'll listen and oh gosh i and you never know what they pulled from in those right. hours of text I read, oh, I wish I had done that. I wish there were this wasn't so truncated. I wish I had elongated that, yeah, yeah, we always we. It's fascinating to hear your own voice back, but it like with most people, the you know, <laughs> I've been doing this for forty years, it's never pleasant right uh, although occasionally it's pleasant um when you really nail something, but it's only occasionally you know that, yes, absolutely. So
1: if people would like
0: to work with you,
1: if there's any like on air broadcast people or or TV people listening to this podcast. Where can we send them so that they can,
0: you
1: know? I would love to. to.
0: I mean, I'm, <laughs> my daughter says, mom, you don't charge enough. But that's because a lot of people in our industry, certainly starting out, they don't make a lot. So I don't charge a lot. You can find me on LinkedIn, Susan Murphy, and then just type in voice coach because there are a bunch of Susan Murphys. Um, or I have a little company called Susan Murphy Vosot. V-O-S-O-T dot com. And Vosat is broadcast shorthand for voiceover, sound on tape, which is what a, a a reporter, she takes her, the big package she did, and she does a short version of it, and it's just a written version, and then the anchor reads it, and they cover it with video, and that's called the Vosat, where it's part of a story that's covered with video, and now you know broadcast shorthand, Vosat, and I just <laughs> thought that was clever, but you know, I'm, You know who I've worked with ministers in the breath work and in um, in how to remember that here's an important piece that I always have to tell reporters and nobody ever talks about it. If you and I are having a conversation face to face, we watch each other's lips because lips fill in psychological gaps. It helps us to hear. Most of the time, a reporter might start a story on camera and then she finishes it, and it's all covered up with other video. Now, I cannot watch your video. I cannot watch your lips. So, because I can't watch your lips, it's harder for me to hear you. So, that's when I stress being bold and intentional in your delivery, knowing that I can't see your lips. Me, the viewer ministers need to know that too professors you need, the back of the room can't see your lips back of the congregation can't see your lips so there are things that that I can teach literally anybody, anybody who speaks in front of audiences but I do I do focus on people in the broadcast industry so MurphyVosat.com is where you can find me
1: yeah it seems like it would be beneficial to anyone especially in the healing aspect of of what you were talking about and connecting with authentic authenticity
0: right and i know a lot of actors like you know you had laurie smith on not too long ago um laurie does that and you do it from the acting perspective and then you have the reiki uh component as well then and there you can really concentrate on the energy so i admire those of you who really pull together the whole mind body experience i touch on it but i can't do it as well as y'all can Oh, I I don't know. From what you've told me, I think you're doing a little better than you think. (laughs) Maybe. And I am one of like two people I know of who do this. Two. Yeah. There's just not a broadcast voice coach. I don't care how you look. That's somebody else's problem. I only (laughs) care how you sound. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. I mean, that's very sweet of you to say. I do love doing it to watch the next generation grow and become confident and better at what they do. That's truly the reward for me. And I thank you for doing what you do as well. These kinds of services are important for people. And most people don't even know they exist. They don't, and they don't recognize how much change can come from it because they're scared of it or they don't know it exists. Right. So, I'm delighted to have spoken with you today. My goodness, the conversation went (laughs) everywhere. And that's what I love about this. Yeah,
1: it's been a pleasure. Uh, I feel like we could probably talk for a long, 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 long. We can do it again in a couple more months. I'm, you know, I'm right here. Okay, perfect. Um, So I have one last question that I like to ask my guests to sort of wrap it up. And that question is, if your inner voice had a billboard, what
0: would it say to the world? Drop your shoulders and breathe. <laughs> that's what it would say. Yep. Cause that's what I'm always reminding people. The drop your shoulders thing was something I had learned from the singing coach. Yeah. It's a part of your body that we never think of that would have to do with the tone and pitch of your voice. But if you're tense from shoulders up, everything is tense and your pitch is going to rise and you're probably going to fly away. Lower the shoulders breathe and you're halfway there
1: Mm -hmm. all right i love it we get t-shirts made great idea i love it Yes. (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for joining me this week if you're listening and you like what you hear please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.